scripture will be found in John 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome him. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. As I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about what is real and what is not real. And I wanted to come up with some examples, or one real clear example of what's real and what's not real. And so one of the things that I thought about, because I'm getting ready to go back to the States uh, for a little bit, is the fact that coffee in Australia is real. <laughs> coffee in the States, not so much. Now it's coffee, and it's water, and it's brewed, and it is in a cup. But it definitely does not taste like real good coffee that is here. And so that was one, that's one but, it, but really they're both coffee in the end. One just happens to be a poor coffee, and one happens to be true, real coffee. And so I was thinking, well, last week was 4th of July. Now that's just a regular day here, but for those of us who have American United States passports, it's the day of independence. Something we did a little bit different from the Australians. <laughs> and one of the things that I love is hot dogs. Now, hot dogs here are not as good as hot dogs in the States. And I have been on a four year quest <laughs> to find a real hot dog. And I have discovered it is an all-beef, organic, properly smoked and seasoned hot dog. And it tastes just it's so good that it's already cooked, so don't let this gross you out however it grosses my wife out every time I do it. You can take one straight out of the package and just eat it. It's that good. But you know what? They're both hot dogs. They're just made a little different. And they're kind of so they're the same thing. Just one's a poor version of it, and one's a, a much better, true, right version. <laughs> but on that same day, July 4th, we made a dessert. Some people call it a salad. <laughs> it consists of pretzels, crushed up with butter. Our mouths, we have very good cookies, so we don't use butter. We use some margarine or coconut oil or something. And, and then you heat that up. Oh, we did use butter. I wonder it was so good. Uh, <laughs> so we use butter, and you heat it up, and then you take, oh, and sugar in that too. And then you take Cool Whip. I mean, you know what Cool Whip is. 
That's right, all you people from the States. We don't own, we don't have cool whip in Australia. What we have here is whipping cream. Copper whipping cream. You see, cool whip is a non-dairy whip topping. It is oil and sugar and coloring that's whipped to have the appearance of cool whip, I mean of whipped cream. That good, lovely, true, right cream that you put in a blender or a, a mixer and you pour some sugar in and you let it work its magic and all of a sudden peaks form and you can't help yourself to stick a spoon in just to make sure it's okay. I know I'm lazy, I use a machine, I could do it all. So we don't have that, yet that's what the recipe calls for. So we use whipping cream instead. And then you use strawberry jelly and strawberries. It is lovely. We'll bring it sometime. It is excellent. It is a mouthful of sugar. But here's the deal. Whipping cream is real. It comes from nature. That looks like whipping cream, kind of. It's fake. It's synthetic. It's not true at all. That's what John's talking about. He's saying there is a real, true, truth spirit. And then there is a false spirit. Now, this is coming right after he said to us, that God has given us the Holy Spirit. Just in the chapter before, he says, God's given you the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to know then how to make sure and test whether the Spirit you're hearing, whether the Spirit you're following, whether the Spirit that is transforming your life is the true Spirit. Or is it a false Spirit, a, a, a fake, a synthetic version of this beautiful thing. And he opens it up to us, and he tells us, look, there's a couple of ways that you can tell. The first one is this, what the Spirit testifies to, what it claims. So it says, if the Spirit says and confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God, then it is the true Spirit. But if it does not claim that, then it's a false Spirit. It's synthetic. It doesn't work. So that's the first way that we begin to recognize it that it has to have a claim. And that claim is this, that Jesus came, that he came in the flesh, not just that he came in the flesh, that he was God in the flesh, 100% God and 100% man. That it wasn't just some man that all of a sudden the Spirit of God came on and then at some point left, because that's what he was battling here, John was battling here. But that it is 100% God-man, that the Trinity made himself known and came in as flesh and blood, and we need to the glory. And not only that, that that man, God, lived in this world, that he suffered in this world, that he walked in this world, that he ate in this world, that he hugged in this world, that he cried in this world, that he loved in this world, and that ultimately he sacrificed in this world and died. But even beyond that, it's that this God-man who became flesh and lived and breathed and obeyed and walked to the cross and died also rose again. That all of that is 100% true. 
And if the Spirit is testifying and saying that is the truth, then it's the truth. <laughs> but in some form or fashion, if it says, no, that's not quite right, then it's the false Spirit. That's the first thing it tells us. The second thing it lets us know is this, is that we recognize that those who are following after the true Spirit are those who are not in the world anymore, but are of the Spirit, of God. And we can tell who those are by the ones that are listening to the apostles. The ones who are listening to the message that we find all throughout Scripture. The ones who are claiming this, not just to be a great book, not just to be some great library of books, but are saying this, in fact, is the Word of God. That this speaks to us. That it is transformative for us. And then if somebody looks at it and says, no, no, not quite the Word of God. I mean, it's a good book and all, we should listen to it. That that's not actually from the truth spirit. And then he says this great little verse. It's actually one of my dad's favorite verses. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The third way that we recognize that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God and not just the Spirit of man or the Spirit of not truth is the fact that it has overcome the systems that the world puts in place to keep us from seeing who God is. Sometimes when we hear that voice that you are great and the one who is great is in you is greater than he that is in the world is we begin to have an adversarial sort of understanding of it. And it's less about that sort of adversarial overcoming and more about reign, more about authority, more about who has the right to speak into your life and tell you which way to go, how your life should be led, and who actually knows better about who you are than who yourself knows. So when he says that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, he is saying that God... The one who sent Jesus became flesh and lived among us, who died and rose again, that that one is greater than any system that the world puts out for you to claim your identity, for you to claim who you are and what you should be doing. That he is greater because he has authority, that he is king of kings and lord of lords. So now if you've been in church at any time in your life, and you've kind of been walking this path, then you can hear this and you can go, or at least I did. Good? Check mark, I'm good. I believe the Word of God, I believe the Spirit of God, I follow the Apostle, I read the Bible, I preach from the Bible, but it's not that I'm good. The reality is, sometimes there are places in my life where I don't walk in that belief. There are places in my life that I might claim to have the Spirit of God, but in fact that I fall into the Spirit of the world. Where I walk away from claiming the power of Jesus being in the flesh. His death and His resurrection. And I thought of a couple of different ways that that happens to us. So the first way is this. We deny the power of Christ coming in flesh when we do say that it's a myth. That's the number one way. When we say that it's just a myth. Now, most of us here go to church. We hang out with people who go to church. 
And so we probably don't say that with our words. So theoretically, we assent to the understanding that Jesus came in the flesh, that he died and that he rose again. But practically, we deny the power of that resurrection in our life. And in doing so, we claim it's You see, the resurrection... Christ coming in the flesh and dying is something that happened 2,000 years ago. And the effects that that has on me today in 2019 aren't quite obvious, except for the fact that I wake up a little bit earlier on Sunday morning and I go sing with some people and listen to a guy talking about hot dogs. <laughs> and so there are places in our lives where we don't rest or lean into the power of the resurrection. That when Christ rose from the dead, that it was brand new. That it lets us know that Jesus, through the power of the resurrection, brings all things back together. That he decreases and, and diminishes and destroys any hostility that's between us. That in the resurrection and in the cross, that he brings people who are far off back into the kingdom of God. That he renews us from the inside out. That there is a way for us to overcome temptations that head our way. That in the resurrection and in the life of Christ, that there are places for us that we can step into the reality that it is a brand new life. That I once was dead, but now I'm alive. That I was lost, but now I'm found. That I was a helpless, abandoned child, but now I am in the family of God. <coughs> and so the first thing that we do is we act like it's a myth because we don't actually walk in the power of the resurrection. So how does that happen? Well, the second way is this. We make this claim that Jesus is God in the flesh false when we make that claim to be a way to divide people. Now, this gets a little tricky for us. And if you're here and you're trying to figure out if this, if this Christianity thing is a, a good thing to follow, and if you're here and you're trying to go, is Jesus really real and is everything that I'm hearing, I, I want to let you know that this little part that I'm talking about right now really has more to do with those of us who have kind of been captured by Jesus. Because sometimes what we'll do is we'll take the resurrection or our understanding of it and we'll put up barriers to those who are around us. And we'll use it as a way to divide. Well, if you don't believe all of these things exactly the way that I believe these things, then I don't know if I can quite certainly put you into the camp of being. And it's not big things. It's peripheral things. In the 70s and 80s and the 90s and the aughts and even now, one of the things that divide churches most often is types of music. Well, I like that kind of music. I like this kind of music, or I would prefer that kind of music. That's where we are no longer claiming the power of the resurrection. We're no longer, what we've done is we've said, we worship the risen Savior this way. And that's the only way. That's denying the power of the resurrection. That's actually following a false spirit. Because the Bible reminds us over and over again that God did not come to bring division, that he came to bring unity, that he brings all people together. So that's the second way that we see ourselves denied. 
Maybe those have it taken. The third way is this. When we make Jesus and his resurrection and his flesh not what it is, but we just make it a feel-good that idea that aren't I lucky that Jesus died for me and he saved me? Yes! And everything's done, and he will overcome, and it's great. And it's just a feel-good anthem. That my life's going to be better now that I'm following Jesus, that everything's going to go my way now that I'm following Jesus, that everything's going to be dory now that I'm following Jesus, that all the things will work out for the good of those who love Jesus. Yes, amen, you've heard that in Scripture. But in that, we neglect the way of suffering of the cross. We look at it and we forget that God calls us to walk in the path of suffering. That it's not just about feeling good all the time. That there is actually a place where our flesh battles against the spirit and we are going to be heavy laden and burdened, but not to the point of crushing. Because Jesus walked the path of suffering as well. So to follow the real Jesus, the one who came in flesh, who died and rose again, is to walk in suffering. That's why we did a whole series on the now before we jumped into this. Because we wanted to know how we engage with suffering. What does it look like and how do we walk in it? And so if we're going to claim to follow Jesus, the one who came in the flesh and rose again, then we have to be prepared to walk in suffering. That it's not just about everything going my way. A good the last way that I think that we can look at and see how this works is when we just make Jesus and the resurrection a system. When we just make it religion and not relationship. When we look at it and we say, this is the way that God worked, that's great, so I just need to find the exact formula in order to make sure I get it right so that I can unlock the door to heaven that it becomes a system for us to walk through and walk in, and not a relationship. Oftentimes, when we decide to make it a system, we end up walking in this way. Christianity becomes much more about self-reliance. Because in Christ, I know who I am, and since I know who I am, I can now rely on myself. Thanks for saving me, Jesus. I've got it from here on out. It becomes a place of self-assurance. Aren't I great, Jesus? I'm so glad you saved me. Why wouldn't you? You would want me. It becomes a place of self-advancement. If I become this thing, and I love the genie bottle just right, God will give me what I want. It's that system of going, if I pray hard enough, if I say the right words, if I just do it correctly, then God will give me what I want, and that is self-advancement. But maybe the one that grabs us most often is the idea that it is self-improvement. I want to be the best me that I can be. I want to be exactly what I want to be. And if I follow Jesus, he'll help me get there. That's a false spirit. Because as we've seen, the spirit of Christ, the one who drew him to the cross, that caused him to obey to the point of death and bring resurrection, is one that says, you don't actually know who you are. So for you to think 
that just by following me, I will improve you to the place that you think you need to get, you're missing the point. Because I know the place that you need to get. So much more than that. I call you beyond even what you think is what you need. And that is the spirit of truth. What we begin to recognize is that it is a great God who's come in the flesh and died and rose again, who comes to us and forms in us our truth self, who is always wanted us to be, who he knows who we are, and he directs us into that place so that we can walk in Christ and be spirit-filled. Listen, anything less than allowing and recognizing who Jesus is completely falls short of being completely living in God. As I was thinking about this sermon, a song from YouTube kept running through my head. YouTube's a band. And the song is called Even Better Than the Real Thing. Now, the song itself has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon, sort of. You can go back and listen to it. I get permission for this one. It's not that bad. But the title is what I'm creating. Even Better Than the Real Thing. Because I think our hearts are trapped in this sort of place where we see all that God has to offer for us. The fact that the creator of the universe, the almighty God, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who is beyond all scope and imagination, the one that we could never figure out, the one made mystery to us completely forever and always, decided that he would come in flesh and live and breathe and make himself known completely to us. To Jesus Christ in flesh and blood in the cross. And we hear that and we think to ourselves, there's no way he can save me. It's too good to be true. But at the very same time, we say, but give me something better than the real thing. Over and over again in our lives, God reveals himself to us in Christ over and over again in our lives as he continues to pursue us in his steadfast love, that relentless pursuit. He comes to us and shows himself to us in Jesus and through his body, the church that's broken and frail and messed up. And we say it, we, we hear these words about one who will love us beyond the foundations of the world, one who will pursue us at no mercy, one who will come for us completely and utterly, and offers us life better than we've ever dreamed. And we say, that's too good to be true, but I want something even better than the real thing. Because for some reason, this Jesus is just not enough for us. So how does it become? He says it over and over and over again. If you want to avoid the system, if you want to avoid the good fill, the good anthem, the fill good anthem, if you want to avoid the path of division, if you want to avoid having this be a myth in your life practically and actually having the power of the resurrection reigning in you, the only way to do it is to abide, to fall completely and utterly into. 
That's what's beautiful about this little verse here. When he says, little children, in verse 4, you are from God. What John is reminding us there is that little children, you have been born of God. Little children, you have been man manifest from God. Little, little children, that you are in fact, all of who you are resides completely in who God is revealed in Christ. And that he holds you and keeps you and knows you and loves you. And so today, we sit at a place where we call out and say, I I struggle with abiding in the Lord. I want to do it on my own. I prefer excuse. I want to do it on my own. Help me to abide. Change my heart. Let me rest in knowing that you've done the work. Let me rest in knowing that there's nothing I can do that will pull me away from you because the love that you have for me and what you've done in Christ Jesus. He calls us and says, the reality of who you are when Christ has you is that you are and those things that have flit around us, those systems and beliefs that the world throws at us, he is more powerful than those. He is overcome. He can overcome the world so that we can be his. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for bringing us in. You are good in all we do. Let us follow after you. Let us abide in your name. Would you stand?